Good evening and welcome to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. We're going to have Michael come up here and tell our joke. Hi, Michael Alcoholic. Hi, I apologize in advance. Blame the AA grapevine for this one. Um, on New Year's Eve, Judy stood up at the local pub and said that it was time to get ready. At the stroke of midnight, she said, I want everybody to be standing next to the one person who has made your life worth living. The bartender was nearly crushed to death. <laughs> uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and might distract others. Please take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone's ready, we're going to start.
say the fog light prayer they're listed on both of the screens God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through me there is a solution from the big book page 17 the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Jess to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. So please welcome us, Jess. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Jessica. Spiritual Experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. 
There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 and 568. Thank you, Jess. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so turn your phone off or put it on silent. Uh, so I'm going to introduce Bobby. She's going to be here over the next nine weeks. She was one of the first people I met five years ago when I came down here that had such a knowledge of this disease, and I'm so excited to see um, what message she's going to bring. So please welcome Bobby. a member of the Sister Staying Sober group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my name is Bobby. Um, it is such an honor and privilege to be asked to speak at Alcoholics Anonymous in any format, whatever, but I love coming to do a step series because it keeps it green for me. I have to stay on top of my toes so I can come here to make sure that you guys all receive a message. What I've learned on this journey is that if I have no quality fruit to produce to you, I shouldn't be up here. So because I like to do this and I like to stay sober, I need to be constantly being fed the spirit by other walks of life. And I also found on this journey that AA was not only a spiritual kindergarten, but that there were so many beautiful things outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, which are mind-blowing to me because you guys all told me if I even stepped foot out of here, I'd die. And um, I took that seriously. I don't know if you guys did, but I sure did. I was deathly afraid to do anything outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I could tell you today there's a whole world out there. But the one thing that I always keep green in the forefront of my mind is that without this, I am nothing. This is what plugged me into the spirit who I choose to call God. And for whatever reason, it works for me. It's been working now for a little over 14 years. So I'm going to keep coming back because um, my life is so worth it today. So again, thank you guys for having me here. Um, today, step one, I get to talk about alcoholism at its finest. I have a lot of personal evidence to prove that alcoholism is a real life disease. I've also had the opportunity to learn more about alcoholism on this journey of life, to find out that not only is it just a belief, and the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's an actual scientifically proven illness, uh, which we've discovered many years ago. But we get something so different and unique outside of the world of science, and it's called personal life experience. You know, I can relate one alcoholic helping another like this. I was diagnosed with a very, very, very scary illness at 17 years old called multiple sclerosis. I was scared for my life. I thought for sure, like, I was never going to be a normal human being. The left side of my body was paralyzed for eight days. I was seen by many doctors who had witnessed many large lesions that covered the entire right side of my brain. I mean, I was just a baby. 
and these things were happening to me. Mind you, I had just given birth to my first child, and uh, that was actually what set that whole thing off rolling for me. Scary as can be. I got to see some of the highest paid doctors and specialists here in South Florida. I went from all different kinds of infectious disease doctors, neurologists, um, anything you can think of, they've seen me. And there was no comfort, there was no ease, there was no settling in my spirit when I spoke to some of the nurses that were loving and caring and wanted to hug it out with me, the doctors who pointed to the education and that the proof that there was a chance of recovery, none of that mattered until the moment I got to speak with a recovering patient who also experienced the illness called multiple sclerosis. And that brings me to here. You know, you guys all live with an illness that we are, we are taught here in Alcoholics Anonymous that we are given a gift. We're given a gift beyond your possible recognition until God begins to speak it to you through your heart. And we get to help other alcoholics more than any other type of human being here on this earth. God has chosen each and every one of us to have a very unique, individual, divine purpose to help the rest of his children out. And we're only doing so so we can build them up so they can do the same. And we're a part of a really awesome community. So my own personal experience with alcoholism is powerful. My own individual unique experience with alcoholism is unique. It's not better than, it's not worse than anybody here, but it is my own. And that's why we get to come up here in different stories and different tones of voices, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but everybody's story matters. So I'm going to tell you my story about alcoholism. I'm going to tell you what I have learned about this illness and what it was like, what happened, and we'll get to hear all about what it's like for me the rest of the, the time that I'm doing this series. So first we'll start off with um, mom and dad. They're an important part of my story to alcoholism. They were also 16 and 17 when they got pregnant with me. You know, I walked right closely behind them in their footsteps. I followed a lot of the things that they did in life. But both of my mom and dad were not only young parents and immature and had no idea what life was like, they both suffered the disease of alcoholism. And what that looked like was they had a sensitivity to alcohol. They put it into their body. They had little control over the amount that they took. Nine times out of ten, every time they put it into their body, they suffered consequences. You know, my mom was the type who drank and was having promiscuity challenges. And my father is the one who drank and always landed himself in jail. So, you know, it was just the typical stuff that alcoholics experience. I was so blessed that I got both sides of the coin. I was a promiscuity and a criminal. You know, and I really truly believe that the day that I was conceived, let alone born, I was conceived with the disease of alcoholism. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. 
you know, everybody's got their own stories. I really truthfully believe that the, it was probably about December 1979, maybe around Christmas Day. That's when we all like to get pregnant. Mom and dad did what they did, and uh, there I was. I was swimming down the fallopian tube. It was a party waiting to happen. I was better than the rest, and um, I was not going to let anybody tell me different. And I made it, just like you guys did. It's like one out of a billion chances, and I made it to that egg, and here I became. And... Um, I knew I was different from the very beginning, even all the way back then, because from as young as I can remember, there was something a little different about me. And I would love to say that I can identify with differences because I always felt alone in a room full of people. I didn't seem to fit in or whatever it is that we say to make ourselves separated from the human race. But the truth is, is that I have been able to build lots of relationships in recovery with people who are non-alcoholic, and they have all experienced those things. So I hate to break it to you, all human beings suffer from wanting to fit in and having feelings of doubt or being alone in a room full of people. It's actually a human thing, not just an alcoholic thing. But there was something a little fishy about some other things that even my, uh, my non-alcoholic friends definitely didn't identify with. And even some of my friends in Alcoholics Anonymous did not identify with. And the first thing is, is that any time I put alcohol in any form into my body, I had a higher tolerance than my friends. It was like that from the beginning. I remember people used to tell me I was one of the guys. You know, I thought that was a badge of honor that I could drink like the guys. And, uh, you know, the other thing about that scenario is that at the end of the night when I ran out of dot, 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 I wanted to die. You know, none of the people I hung with wanted to die when they ran out of dot, dot, dot. It just did not seem that way with them. So I'll give you a visual of what kind of an alcoholic I was. We got a great crowd of people. I've always been a people person. I found friends everywhere I went. I always had a large group of friends everywhere I went. So picture that. Lots of friends having fun. We're at a party. It's 8 o'clock at night. I've already began my journey of drinking, and of course, by 9 or 10, I'm already projecting when it's going to end, so I'm already pacing the party back and forth in my head, wondering how many hours will I have left before I run out of this form of alcohol, and the impending doom and suffering in the inner core of my soul begins to eat me from the inside out. I am starting to plan and plot and scheme many ways to make sure that this feeling doesn't go away. Hence, I'm not enjoying what is going on because I'm so projected into the near future that I'm destroying any feeling that the substance has given me. And now I start to wonder, who is my first, second, and third victim this evening that'll get me what I need to get to continue this journey.
And it was always, always driven and fueled by this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that I wanted to die if I couldn't continue. And that, my friend, was very different than anybody I partied with. In fact, it's very different from even some people I've been in great relationships with in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll describe the feeling I'm referring to that if you have not identified with that I just told you of, you may identify with this. It felt as though the love of my life I love him so much. I'm going to marry him and build a family with him. He's perfect for me. He's perfect in general. And I just caught him cheating on me with my best friend. That feeling that, oh my God, this is over. And I am not going to be able to survive this pain. That's what it felt like me at the end of the day when I ran out of dot, dot, dot. And you know, I, I used to think that it was just the power of alcohol that was doing that to my body chemically. Come to find out, I came into recovery and I quickly noticed that that feeling occurs in all areas of my addictive life. For example, and people laugh about this, but this is my truth. I had never had crab legs in my life until I was about a year and a half sober. They used to be at sale and sale all the time for like $7.99, $7.99 a pound at Albertsons on Commercial and Dixie. And um, a friend of mine turned me on to them. So we'd go get a few pounds, and she taught me how to, I could break a crab leg like a magician at this point. And she taught me how to heat the butter and the garlic and also have a side of lemon. I mean, it was a whole extravaganza every time we ate crab legs. But I fell in love with the whole process of eating crab, crab legs. I was very good at it. And um, I loved the taste and the quality of the crab leg that I purchased. And very quickly, my first night in fact, after I got the hang of it and I wasn't wasting all the meat, I remember halfway into my pound, I began to think, this is going to end very soon. And I started to look over at her plate and watch how slowly she was eating hers. I tried to pace myself and control the situation. And then out of nowhere, I promise you, I didn't do this on purpose. The manipulation came out of my mouth to start to consume how I was going to control her crab legs once mine were gone. And I realized at that point, I have a problem. This is not just a drink problem. This is an inner, inner core of my soul problem. Because since I put down the drink and the drug November 21st, 2007, I have had a long many years of a process elimination of many addictions in my life. They've just been coming off the list. One after another, after another, after another, including not only alcohol, drugs, sex, attention, popularity, sugar, food in general, coffee, Celsius energy drinks, you name it, 
I've had it. And I could say today I've been clean and free from all drugs and alcohol for 14 and a half years, cigarettes for 11 years. I haven't had um, inappropriate sexual relationships with anybody in 13 years. My life has progressively been a trial and error of elimination of these many things. And that goes all the way back to when I was a little tiny girl. I recognized the difference. Anything I put into my mind, into my body, that made me feel any elevation of good, I became immediately addicted to it. And when it ran out, I didn't like the way it made me feel. So talking about alcoholism in a physical, you know, a physical respect, this is where alcoholism on the physical component affects most people who come into Alcoholics Anonymous and identify with having a problem. You may be in here, I doubt it, I highly doubt it, without the process that I'm about to speak to you, but for the most part, this is what it is. We put alcohol into our body. Our body processes those chemicals slightly different than a normal functioning human being. And as a result of us processing that chemical differently, we actually allow acetate to sit into our system just a little bit longer than it should, naturally causing your body to physically crave it more, despite the consequences that you have had tallied up over the last couple of decades. And this physical component has made me realize that I can no longer safely drink alcohol in any form whatsoever. My mom and dad had that very same reaction to alcohol, not only in liquid form, but in all forms. This disease is not only hereditary, it is a learned behavior as well. A lot of people who come into Alcoholics Anonymous are what we call the long shot. They're called the long shot because they have checked every box you can check that puts them in a position to be more susceptible to the illness of alcoholism. I identify as the long shot. There are a few ways to come in and have this physical component affect your life. First and foremost, you have a genetic disposition as a result of your parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. There is a genetic disposition in there somewhere. Your body is going to react differently quite quickly when you begin to start drinking. But also, there are types of alcoholics who may or may not have any disposition whatsoever, but they experience some things in life that the outside of Alcoholics Anonymous world refer to as trauma. Trauma is something that affects the person's mind, body, and spirit in a negative capacity that leads them to risky behaviors that cause them consequences in their life. So just to give you a visual of how somebody like that may develop this physical component to alcoholism, when that individual finds alcohol works for them, and what I mean by works for them, it is doing something positive to them in the moment, they drink it long enough to develop a habit. They continue to drink it long enough to develop a physical dependence. And then they drink it even longer to develop an actual illness called alcoholism. 
Alcoholism means that their body is now processing alcohol differently than the normal human capacity. We call it an allergy, if you will. The manifestation of this allergy, and a manifestation is a sign or symptom that you may be allergic to something, is not a rash or itchy red eyes, but it is a craving so powerful that you're willing to sacrifice your marriage, your relationship with your children, your freedom with the felony judicial system, with your current employment. You're willing to sacrifice your worth, your self-esteem, and your dignity for one more. How many of you guys can identify with that? I knew you looked like one of, yeah, I knew it. I could tell. I can't see crap out there with these lights in my eyes, but I saw you when you walked in. So the third type of alcoholic, and this is somebody who may or may again not have been dispositioned to this illness. In fact, they had a fantastic life. They have a mom and a dad who are still married today. They were raised in a nice neighborhood with financial security and in the best school district known to man. They were popular and good looking. They were involved in sports and after school activities. <laughs> to most people, including themselves, they had nothing wrong to lead them to drinking. But maybe they fell into the wrong crowd. Maybe they had a good time one night at a party. Whatever it was, they eventually discovered that alcohol did for them what they could not do for themselves. So they began to drink it long enough and hard enough to develop a habit, long enough and hard enough to develop a physical dependence, and eventually long enough and hard enough to develop the disease of alcoholism, now processing alcohol differently than the normal functioning human being. See, the thing about alcoholism and the physical component is that once you have the physical component, you will always have the physical component. That does not go away after 10, 20, or 30 years. Your body is going to process it like that because you've developed an allergy. Then, of course, there was the type like me. It was the first type I spoke briefly about, probably like some of you in here as well, where we did not necessarily need to drink and drug us into a habit, into a physical dependence, into the disease of alcoholism. Sure, it took time for my life to deteriorate into practically nothing, but it was in no time compared to a lot of people that I knew. I felt fully consumed by this disease very rapidly in my drinking career. A lot of times people come into Alcoholics Anonymous and say, man, I was still having fun or it was fun for a long time. I will tell you my personal experience was not the case. I hated living in the cycle of insanity, but I was way too afraid to not live in the insanity. Drinking was an absolute full-time career for me. It dictated to me what time I was going to wake up, if I was going to have a job, and if I had a job, if I was going to go to work that day. 
Alcohol dictated to me whether or not I was going to feed my children, give them any type of attention, or have any human relationships. Without alcohol, I had nothing. I led to the streets very young into prostitution. I had three kids out there doing the things that I did. I have even had a child as a result of prostitution. I don't tell you these things because I want you to be like, wow, good job. Or wow, I can't believe she would say that at a podium in front of men and women. I say that because that's where alcoholism took me, to the depths of hell. I could be outside talking to my kid's father after this meeting right now and legit have absolutely no idea that he is my son's father. That's where alcoholism took me. It wasn't one time. It was all time. I lost my three kids not once. I lost my kids six times as a result of alcoholism until finally my rights as a parent were completely terminated here in the state of Florida. My oldest was placed with her father. My second oldest was placed with a family in Georgia for adoption. And my little boy, who was a result of prostitution, was placed immediately into the system and was automatically sent into a goal of terminating my rights and put into adoption. I had absolutely every strike against me. I had not one single solitary chance of being a mother in the state of Florida ever again. In fact, when I gave birth to my son at Memorial Hospital in Hollywood, police showed up at the door and said, well, look at here. Nobody told you you can have another child. They immediately wanted to remove him from the hospital room that day because they got a red flag that Bobby had another kid. That's where alcoholism took this girl. So I was different from the beginning. And I was also somebody that was not only a long shot, but I had all the odds against me. Not only was I ge genetically dispositioned, I had learned behavior. Mom and dad drank, dad did drugs, he sold drugs. I watched him get arrested, I watched him attempt suicide. I, I watched a lot of different men come in and out of my house growing up. I grew up in a beautiful neighborhood called Silver Oaks Trailer Park here in Davie. If anybody's from this community will know it's not a nice neighborhood. So I grew up in poor neighborhoods on welfare and the lowest type of quality schools that you can think of in Broward County. I was a part of a very violent community. I love it when parents say, I don't let my kid go outside. Today is so much worse than it used to be. No, no, not even close. I've had the honor and privilege of raising my children as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous despite what anybody said was possible. And I will tell you that the world today is nothing like it used to be. Violence and sexual assault and murder and all of those things were much higher in the 80s and 90s than they are now. I even had to do the research to settle my mind on that. My point is, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've lived through, if a girl like me can come into Alcoholics Anonymous and actually create a life worth living, anybody can. 
And what's so amazing is that all I had to do was come to Alcoholics Anonymous, surrender to your way of life, do a few couple suggested things, and voila. I like to say that my life began to take order with little or no effort at all. I had something working in my life that was so much more powerful than me that I couldn't even fathom putting my finger on what it was. The physical component told me that I could no longer safely drink in any form at all. What does that mean for me today? Complete abstinence is my program of recovery. That is absolutely no judgment on anybody else's recovery. Everybody's walk is going to be different. But what it means for me is that I have not had a drink or a drug in any form since November 21st, 2007. That means nights, weekends, holidays, makeups, breakups, weddings, funerals, and C-sections, I might add. I had a C-section for the first time and did it with no narcotics because this alcoholic is the long shot. So if I can't safely drink alcohol, is he okay? Okay. Got to check. We got Narcan in here? I mean, you never know. I can't safely drink alcohol. I need sobriety. The really messed up thing is, is that you guys taught me when I got in here, not only can I not safely drink, but I also cannot safely stay sober. And I was mind blown about that. Do you want to know why I would never come to Alcoholics Anonymous? Legitimately, this is what it was. I mean, I had been here before, but I had never been here sober. I came to get a paper signed a few times, or I came because I was in such a desperate pit of hell and um, horrible, horrible emotional despair, and I would come and cry the whole meeting and be in the bathroom doing whatever it is that I was doing currently at that time in my life. But I told you what I felt like when I ran out of dot, dot, dot. I wanted to die. I was willing to sacrifice my life for $5 to get more. So the idea of putting down the drink and coming in here and living your way of life was ultimately the most scariest thing I could ever wrap my mind around because I know what it feels like to not have alcohol in my body. I would want to die every day? That sounds painful. But by golly, we'll do it together? So what you're saying is AA can offer me support. We'll hold hands and white-knuckle life one day at a time together. And I truthfully believed that's what AA was going to have to offer me. And here's the sad truth. I wasted so many years believing that lie that ultimately there were so many consequences that needed to be endured before I came in here and given it a shot. They say don't regret the past and wish to shut the door on it, but I believe if we all got here just three years prior to when we did, our life could be a little bit different. Doesn't mean it would be better, doesn't mean it would be worse, but I know for sure it would be different. So what does it mean to not be able to safely not drink. I have the mental component of alcoholism. 
this guy is a little tricky. You see, because the physical component has such an easy solution. In order to solve the physical component of alcoholism, you just don't drink. Boom, it's done. It's that simple. So relating to another allergy of mine, I'm allergic to penicillin. I, I forgot to ask Mike, am I up here till it ends? Or do we talk after? Okay. Gotcha. I'm allergic to penicillin. I discovered this allergy when I was in the eighth grade. I was at my grandma's house with my cousins. We were having a good time playing in the house. I did not have any shoes on. And there was an ice cream man. He was coming by the front house. Naturally, I went running across the front yard, darting to the road to go check out the ice cream man. And I stepped on a very large yellow jacket bee up in Wald Lake, Michigan. It was so painful, I buckled at the knees, hit the ground. I hopped all the way back home. My aunt that was babysitting us pulled this stinger out. My foot swelled up in minutes this big. It was full of fluid. It was bad. Found out that day I was allergic to yellow jacket bees as well. But I hopped into her car, and we went to urgent care, and they gave me penicillin. Just to prevent any infection, they gave me some other things for the bee sting, and I went home. Within 24 hours, my body was covered in hives. I had then discovered I was also not only allergic to yellow jacket bees, but I was allergic to penicillin in all forms. So they changed up my antibiotic. I went on with my life, and I knew that I should never take antibiotic in any form whatsoever for the rest of my life. I never once since the eighth grade, and I'll be 42 years old soon, have thought to myself, <clears throat> I'm getting a raspy voice. I feel it here in my throat. I might be getting sick. I'm going to just go take antibiotics this one time in the form of penicillin. I'll be okay. It's been many years. I've never once thought to myself, well, I could take the antibiotics as long as I take it on Friday night and wrap it up on Sunday. It's never crossed my mind. It's never crossed my mind that if I swallow the antibiotic called penicillin via fluid versus pill, that it would be safe. I never once thought in that way, shape, or form. But with alcohol showing me years and years of evidence that once I put it into my body, I have little control over the amount that I take, and that every time I put it into my body, I had such severity of consequences that everything good has been ripped away from me, I continue to go back to it as though it will be different this time. So there was something wrong with me here. Whether I was removed from the community and placed into a jail cell, or I tried to dry out in a detox, whether it was three days, three weeks, or three months, the thought would return again. I would pick up a drink in any form, whatever it may be, and off to the races I went as though I'd never stopped. I was the person who had the series of events that occurred like Groundhog Day. I would get it together, go rent a weekly apartment somewhere, 
get my kids back in my house, secure a job just to pay that weekly rent and a pack of cigarettes and some gas. Things would get better and over the course of the month or two, and then boom, I'd go pick up. I would lose the house, the car, the kids, and my dignity and my freedom again. I would get it back together. It would take me several months, and I would start the process of rebuilding, and then boom, I would do it again. I did that for years and years and years. And uh, one thing was that I never would fully let go of all forms of alcohol. I would always be hanging on to at least one form of alcohol because I can't fathom being completely substance-free out of my body. So I kept going back to it over and over and over again. So if I can't stay, so if I can't drink safely and I cannot stay sober um, successfully, that leaves me in a position to be what is called hopeless. Hopeless. Dr. Carl Jung talks about it in our book. Well, he doesn't. Somebody paraphrases what he says. He says that there are cases such as yours where your life is in such turmoil from alcoholism that you're hopeless. Clinically, there's something wrong with you. But in some exceptional cases like ourselves, we have an opportunity to find, seek, and build the one thing that will remove the problem from your life. And that is why Alcoholics Anonymous has the golden ticket. They developed a program for us, a book of literature for us that will enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve the problem. I thought all these years that the problem was alcohol. I discovered after being removed from alcohol for a period of time that alcohol indeed was not the problem. Alcohol had become the solution. I was the problem. And my solution, alcohol, aggravated the problem even more. And unfortunately, because of my physical dependence upon the chemical of alcohol, I keep returning to the solution again and again, hoping that it's going to work this time causing me more destruction and consequences, deteriorating my body not only physically but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I needed to find a new solution to solve the problem. The way that I see the world, my decision-making, the way that I process information, the way I interact with other human beings, whether they are in an authority role or not, the idea that everything is always somebody else's issue and not mine, all of these are the things that are the problem. I have found 101 solutions to that. Boys, girls, attention, money, sex, drugs, alcohol, the love of my own children. All of these things that I've named have become a solution in my life in one way, shape, or form. But the problem with all of that, including the love of my own children, is it does solve the problem, 
but it only solves a problem temporarily. I build a tolerance for all outside solutions. It stops working. I trash it and move on to the next solution. I've been doing that over the course of all of these years to discover that there is nothing in this world that can solve the problem permanently. There is nothing. Lack of power was our dilemma. We had to find a power greater than ourselves if we were going to recreate our lives. And we're going to talk about that next week, so I don't want to get too involved. But I will tell you that, you know, it says that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. You know, a lot of times when people come in here, the unmanageability of what our life had been like is very obvious to ourselves and to other people. You know, like the broken relationships, the lack of quality of our employment history, the lack of custody of our children, the divorces, the car wrecks, the criminal activities, the arrests, you know, the, the in and outs of the detoxes and the treatment programs, all of these things were very clear evidence that our life had become unmanageable. But it wasn't until I came in here and let the dust settle and the veil began to be lifted from my eyes that I realized there was a lot more unmanageability that could not necessarily be seen by the human eye that was causing me more problems than even some of those external issues. Because chances of me stealing and prostituting and doing things that I was doing when I was drinking are ultimately going to come to a halt when I stop drinking. So if that be the simplicity of this illness, we would all put down the drink, the exterior issues would resolve, and we would be flawless. But that is not what happens. We put down the drink, some of our immediate external consequences come to fruition, and the internal unmanageability begins to unfold. They refer to it in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as irritability. That's um, really irritated with my people, my friends, my situations, my family. Restlessness that's uncomfortable in my own skin. Discontent. This one still sometimes likes to creep into my life where I can be utterly inner in the core of my spirit bored no matter what I try to do. I could try to shift my situation, bring myself into a nature outdoor environment, be around friends and family. There's still an inner discomfort of boredom inside of the pit of my core. Feeling as though everybody is out to get me. Not being able to successfully hold down a job because I still believe I'm better than and smarter than and I have better common sense than anybody else here at this agency. Depression and anxiety. You know, depression and anxiety are not always what it seems. 
depression could potentially just look like I don't have the energy or motivation to do the common things that I normally love to do. Anxiety is not always what it looks like either. I'm not going to sit around and bite my fingernails and think all the dreadful things about this world. But maybe I'm so agitated and dis-ease in the core of my spirit that even the beautiful, beautiful children that God has graced me with irritate everything in me. Even my gorgeous, absolutely amazing husband can't do anything right because I am so dis-ease and anxious. These are all symptoms of the inner unmanageability that my life can sometimes even display today. You know, there was something wrong with me all my life. I had a hole right here in the pit of my stomach. And what it felt like was worry. It felt like I was about to go on a roller coaster at a theme park. It felt as though something bad was going to happen or take place today. I just knew it. I would even say that. I would say something bad's going to happen today. And when you were living the life that I lived, something bad always happened today. So it would reinforce this idea that I had some special powers. And it wasn't until I was in my first 30 days or so of Alcoholics Anonymous sobriety, really doing the best that I can, that I recognized I had not felt that yuck in the pit of my stomach anymore. And I was so pleased with that experience. I thought that I had solved the problem by coming in here and putting down the drink and I was enjoying life. I was having so much fun in early recovery. We would pack into like a four-door vehicle, um, 15 of us, and we'd drive to coffee shops and we'd drink the crap out of some caffeine and we'd smoke a lot of cigarettes and we'd listen to live music and we'd go to the beach and have circle of bonding time with our roommates and halfway. I loved recovery. I went to all the dances and all of the barbecues and every event that AA was throwing. I was there. I was having a great time. And it was a few months into my journey that I did not feel that impending doom in the pit of my stomach. And then one day, out of the blue, I came home from work. I got into the shower and I had an achy feeling in the pit of my stomach. It felt like I was aching. My soul was hurting. And I had no idea why. I had everything going for me. Sure, I didn't have my kids. Sure, I didn't have a driver's license or a car. Sure, I was making $7 an hour. But I felt amazing. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you here right now? And I realized, oh my God, that's that thing I used to feel all my life before I came to AA. And I started to think, oh, man, I'm doing something wrong. Something's going down. Am I going to get high? Am I going to drink today? I started to get real worrisome. 
And um, I don't remember if it was that very moment or that next few weeks, or maybe I figured it out in retrospect, but I know now for sure. What was going on in that moment is that God had given me grace. He had given me grace to get my, my crap together, get a sponsor, start working the steps. And indeed I was. I was doing all of those things. But my grace was running out. And I had realized at that time that I was utilizing the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous for my solution. And remember what I told you, external solutions for me, I build tolerance for them. They begin to run out and alcoholism rears its ugly head. So with that being said, we're gonna start talking about how I was able to fill up that gigantic hole in my soul with the one and only thing that can solve the problem. So thank you guys for letting me share. Thank you, Bobby. Let's give her another round of applause. And we're going to welcome Mark up to do the secretary's report. Hey guys, my name is Mark. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group will be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are going to go around. While the baskets are going around, I've asked Kirk to come on up here and read the yeah, it is a recovered statement. The recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So I'll give you Kirk. My name is Kirk. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we'd be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. But we have restored to sanity, been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the Ford of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, fifty percent of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of, alcohol, of recovered alcoholics in the room tonight? It's quite a bit. More important, does anyone need a sponsor in the room? big book sponsor you is that a partial hand raise do you mind announcing your name or standing up so the room can see you <laughs> what's your name Tim needs a sponsor if someone could get with him after the meeting that'd be great let's get Tim back to God 
Announcement time? Cool. We got Broward County Intergroup serving Broward County, Florida. <laughs> Open every day. It's for uh, all your AA supplies. <laughs> Big books. <laughs> Medallions. Uh, BCIC, those, that's for people that cannot get out to meetings. We're so fortunate to be able to. It's people that are in jails, hospitals, institutions, treatment. Is anyone on that board in the room tonight that wants to elaborate more than I can? No, okay. You, that's what you get. You get the slide. So, next. <laughs> there is plenty of volunteer opportunities going around in Broward County. Founders Day picnic, Florida State Convention. More about the picnic. It's at Snyder Park in southwest Fort Lauderdale. It starts at 2 p.m. in June. Rain or shine? Probably rain. It's in June. And most importantly... We have the Fort Lauderdale Primary Big Book Study Group right here. Third floor of this building, where the big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30. The workshop starts at 7.15. Also, if anyone's interested, I keep looking over here, but it's actually in the back now. CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet here every Thursday. We have Bobby will be here with us eight more weeks. Starting promptly at 7.15, we ask you to be ready to courteous and begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. We have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to again invite you to our Monday night meeting on the third floor upstairs at 7.15. And if anyone wants to thank the speaker, you guys can line up down the center aisle. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. And you can stay seated. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Since the
trying Shine, 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Clap your hands, you believe me, too. 